part one of my reaction to the Harry and Meghan with Oprah interview. I'm going to try to get through this without crying and without completely kirking out and going berserk. <laughs> so a couple of things, I, I definitely noticed many similarities between myself and Pretty much everybody else on Twitter uh, of the squad and just people that were so invested <laughs> in this interview. Um, we were not OK. <laughs> um, it, it, it seems like uh, everybody had a hard time sleeping as well. And I know for a lot of people who may hear this for the first time, you're thinking, why would you like that's not your life. But so much of what they've gone through and so much of what they shared in that interview we called it, but then to hear it in color, to, to hear some of the details and we, we still don't know all the details. I, I swear to God in the very first question, like the main question after Oprah and Megan are talking about, you know, whose house it's not and all of that. And they get right into it. When she starts talking about Kate making her cry and I'm going to get into that momentarily my blood was boiling like I felt my skin getting warm and <laughs> it, it it just kept going from there because every single revelation was more shocking than the last and so the commercial breaks actually came as a relief I'm not <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It is rare when that happens. And I've been looking forward to this interview. I I needed space to breathe. Just a minute to just get my thoughts together because as soon as it came back, they went right into something else that was so unbelievable. So um, everybody was having the same reaction as me. Just complete disbelief. Complete disbelief. And it, even people who said that they were just going to watch it. Yeah, let me see what all the fuss is about. Let me just watch it for like five, ten minutes. Watch the whole thing. Because it was it was just riveting television. And the clips that were previews for the interview, they just don't even do it justice. One of my main takeaways from the interview was that Harry and Meghan really just wanted to clear their name. That's not the only thing they wanted to do, but they wanted to clear their name because they had been vilified before they left and after they left. So take the first question, for example, the first topic, and they were talking about the tabloids writing story after story about Meghan making Kate cry. I mean, just big old bold letters too. Meghan, you know, just... This angry black woman, just this diva-tastic bridezilla who, in the lead up to her wedding, is just going off on everybody, including the future queen. She made Kate cry. Kate is the victim here. And that was a narrative that was put out there for months. Months. Well, when they started to talk about the topic and Megan said, well, actually, the reverse is true. 
The only reason I wasn't surprised by that is because I, along with a lot of squad on Twitter, we saw a clip or like a little clipping out of an article that said that Kate had made Megan cry. And then they changed it back to Megan making Kate cry, right? So I knew there was a possibility that there was some truth to that, but but the source of the the clipping, I think it was a Daily Mail. So it's just kind of like, you know, you treat it like the trash that it is. But now in hindsight, it makes me believe that the tabloids knew the absolute truth all along. Not that they were just making up that, you know, Megan was a diva and a bridezilla, but that Kate was the aggressor in that particular circumstance. And they went with the opposite truth because it serves their relationship with the royal family. And they pushed the lie onto the public. And so Megan clarified that in actuality, she was the victim. Now, Megan being Megan, supporting other women and, you know, not wanting to be seen as tearing another woman down, she gave Kate a lot of grace, more grace than she deserves, if you ask me. But I'm not Megan. And Megan is a better person than I am. I have said this repeatedly on this podcast. She's better than I am. She's nicer than me. But as she was talking about what was happening with the bridesmaids' dresses and the whole incident, she said something that I didn't catch the first time. And she said that it didn't make sense to not be supportive like everyone else. And she's talking about Kate. She didn't understand why Kate wasn't being as supportive as everyone else was being to her as she was basically planning this huge wedding and then also still trying to get her dad to walk her down the aisle, but still also knowing that her dad was in cahoots with the tabloid press. She didn't understand why Kate wasn't giving her grace in that moment. And then Megan later said that, you know, Kate apologized and like brought her flowers and things like that. Like, yeah, that's the least she could have done. And maybe she did feel really bad. And that's fine and well, because Kate should have felt really bad. But what's not okay is the fact that Kate sat back and let Megan take the heat for the the press basically saying that Megan made her cry. She knew full well that wasn't the truth. And she didn't say anything. Now, Megan also gave Kate a little bit more grace by saying that, well, she couldn't come out and say anything either. Uh, and I think Megan put a lot of the responsibility of correcting that narrative onto the institution uh, for not correcting the record. Because the public had been shown article after article saying Megan was the diva and Kate was the victim. Again, Megan is better than me because I look at it this way. If the roles were reversed, which in, it would be a bizarro world if the, if the roles were reversed. But let's just say Megan did make Kate cry, right? And the media 
made Megan the villain and said, well, Kate made Megan cry. And that was absolutely false. Do you think Megan, even with the barriers of the institution, do you think Megan would have sat back and said nothing? Because that's not in her character. Megan would have said that's not actually true because again, she is a feminist and she does not believe in tearing another woman down. And she said, well, you don't have to um, take a polarized view of two women. You can like me without hating her. And that's true. You can. But I hate Kay for other reasons. Not that. But it's more so Kate's character or lack thereof. Kate could have, even if she couldn't have said anything or she felt like she couldn't say anything, Kate could have shown support in other ways. But what Kate was content to do is to sit back and benefit from a lie, a lie that had been ongoing for months. I, I don't understand how you look yourself in the mirror. So Kate will always be trash in my book for that. But keeping in mind, Kate is a woman who wore white to Megan's wedding. And Oprah, speaking of Oprah, she tells a story about how she wore or she brought an off-white outfit to wear to the wedding and then realized, wait a minute, this is a little bit too white. And so she wore something else, like a tan-colored outfit. Kate wore white, straight up. But she was also on the side making, you know, faces with Camilla during Bishop Curry's sermon. But aside from all that, like, I know you're the future queen, but what on earth makes you think it's okay to dictate to another woman as she's planning her wedding about the details of that wedding? Like, your job is to be in support of the bride. I understand that your daughter is going to be in a bridesmaid's dress, but you don't have the right to make any demands about that dress. That is the bride's choice. Your role is support. Your role is support. You're not the center of this event. And that right there lets me know that Kate can't possibly have a lot of female friends. She can't. Probably her, her only female friend is her sister. That's my guess. Because here Megan is completely out of the country, just trying to bring together this this day that she said is not just for her and Harry, but it's for anybody who's going to be watching and wants to take part. It's going to be broadcast all over the world. You're there to support like that's your role. If you can't do that, then you need to get out of the way. But the fact that you thought you could dictate to her. So that to me told me that Kate is a mean girl without any female friends. And she has a very jealous nature because she wasn't the center of attention. Your day was eight years ago. Eight years ago. Why can't you just be satisfied that bitch you got the man that you wanted? And that's because Kate is a mean girl. She's the spawn of Carol Middleton, the ultimate mean girl. And in that same conversation about Kate Middleton, Oprah made mention of the headline Hurricane Megan. And I could tell from Megan's response to that, that she hadn't heard it. Like she hadn't heard about it because she said she doesn't read the tabloids. But there are some things she did definitely hear. But Hurricane Megan... Nobody knows where that came from. But at the same time, Carol Middleton, who is the, you know, CEO of a company that sells cheap 
plastic party goods called party pieces. Um, they did a profile on her as a, you know, as a CEO and, and, and as a boss. And they said the people around the office called her Hurricane Carol. So what are the odds? What are the odds? And anytime there was some kind of, um, you know, story in the paper about Megan and Kate somehow being at odd, Carol was always somewhere around there. Like her fingerprints were always near. They strike me as a family full of mean women. And that's probably why Kate fits in at this stage, because she's a snake, too. That's my opinion. Yeah, you can write a letter, you can give Megan flowers, but you could also be playing the long game because you know at some point Megan is going to tell somebody about that. And so you got this apology and you got these flowers to somehow cover your actions. But that doesn't make your actions less appropriate. But I thought Megan was very gracious to Kate. Then after that, they really started getting into the nitty gritty. Megan acknowledges that she was silenced that's where we saw the clip where Oprah says, were you silent or you were you silenced? You know, I thought and I was right about this. I knew Megan was going to be as diplomatic as she could, but asked a direct question. She was going to tell the truth. But the fact that Megan said silent, you could tell that when she said silent, that she meant silenced. But she was going to be forced, I think, to to put it that way. And that's Oprah's job as an interviewer. And I thought Oprah knocked it out of the park because she caught every little thing that needed clarification. And she pressed on those things. And that is probably why Harry and Meghan, even though you can tell that they feel comfortable with her, that's probably why they chose her, because they knew she would um, press on certain things, whether they chose to answer them or not, they wanted to make sure that that interviewer knew that they had the freedom to go there. And Oprah is going to go there. As it went on, I could tell that Megan was getting a little loose. She seemed a, a tad bit nervous in the beginning. Um, but I felt her loosening up over time. And not long after they started the interview, uh, to the point where Megan was just like, okay, yeah, and, and what else you want to know? <laughs> and she she just didn't didn't hold back. And I think in the moments where Megan really did hold back, particularly when she was asked who was the person who had an issue with Archie's skin color or um, who showed that they would potentially have an issue with his skin color, because I don't think he was born yet, you could tell. Like, she didn't say who. She didn't say who. But she was about to. <laughs> she was about to. But I feel like she felt that that wasn't hers to reveal. Maybe she and Harry had to talk about specifically if anything that you don't actually reveal, don't reveal that. Because Harry was pressed on that, too. And he didn't say. He just shut that down right away. But Megan was, Megan was really an open book. I think both of them were. But Megan had lived through so much just by that point. I think she was just ready to talk. One thing Megan said that really stood out to me, it almost summarizes her whole entire experience in the royal family, is that the royal family 
and or the institution and or the firm, because if you ask me, it's all the same. People try to make a distinction, but no, Mm -mm. nope, 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 nope. You're all lumped in there together. Uh, She said that they were willing to lie to protect some members of the royal family, but they weren't willing to tell the truth to protect Harry and Meghan. And again, these are things that we knew, but it, it, it hits so different when it's coming out of her mouth. Did you guys like experience that? Like they validated so many of our suspicions and opinions about the things that, that we were witnessing and what they must have been going through. We just didn't know it was that bad. But to hear them actually say that happened, that happened. Yep, that happened too. Just as you thought was happening, that's exactly how it happened. But worse, that was that was really a shock <laughs> that I was actually surprised that they said those things. Um, and I think that's that's what the royal family is going to have to answer to. They're going to have to answer to a lot of things because this interview, I mean, I mean, I don't know that it will do them in. I hope it's the beginning of, you know, a line of dominoes that are just going to fall one by one. But they got a lot of explaining to do. But the beauty of it is they can explain they can complain. Don't nobody give a good goddamn because we already see you for what you are. We've been seeing you for what you are, but now we're hearing it again from the horse's mouth. And not just like any royal family member. Two of the greatest assets that you had since Princess Diana. And y'all haven't learned anything in those 22 years. You didn't learn a damn thing. You know, it's kind of like they felt like they got away with one when Diana died and the, and the monarchy didn't fall. Like when, when England and the, the, the people in the streets were just crying out and they didn't even want to like acknowledge that Diana was a royal. Like she was, she was by then an ex-royal, but um, she was still their favorite one. <laughs> and, you know, Elizabeth was ready to just send her to a local funeral home and say, here's your, you know, here, here you go, Spencer's, here's her body back. That's the energy they had. And the only reason Elizabeth got her behind on TV and read that statement and went out there and shake hands with the people and came back to Buckingham Palace and flew the royal standard or put it at half mass or whatever. The only reason they did any of that is because they were afraid that people were going to eat them alive and that they, would, they wouldn't be able to keep their hands on the monarchy and they wouldn't be able to keep it intact. That is it. And now in 2021, we have Harry and Meghan, or really 2018, 1920, we have Harry and Meghan speaking about their experiences, which are so similar to Diana's experience as a young royal. And here's the thing that's, that trips me out, actually. Diana was 19 when she married into that institution. And she wasn't even as old as Harry and Meghan are now when she died. Right? But their experiences were the same. Not in every single way, but in a lot of major ways. 
But Megan was a, a, a like a self-actualized person. She came in as an independent woman. She earned her own money. You know, people make a big deal out of the Cartier watch that Harry uh, gave to Megan that belonged to, to Diana. Megan bought her own Cartier watch because she could. <laughs> she did it as a treat to herself once Suits got renewed for a seventh season. Megan had her own friends. She had a whole entire lifestyle, a career, a sense of self-worth. I'm sure she, she has all of those things still, but these are things that she built from her own hard work, right? And her, her own attention to her life and her relationships. She came into that institution in her mid-30s and they still broke her spirit. So it doesn't matter whether you were 19, 20, 21, or 35, 36, 37, 38. Didn't matter. Another thing Megan said, which speaks to that point, is that it's nothing of what it looks like. It's not what it looks like. There's the image, there's the perception, rather, and then there's the reality. And the perception was that Megan enjoyed being a duchess. And I think maybe in the beginning she did. Perhaps she did. I don't really know. But in the engagements, she was always sort of the same in terms of what she put out or what she wanted people to receive. Um, just being earnest about going, you know, doing these engagements and meeting all these different people that you're probably never going to see again. And um, just doing the duty, like doing the work. But the reality was over time, she was more and more isolated, especially after they came back from the Australia tour, which Harry validated that. He validated that. And they talked about that moment in the crown when the royal family took notice of Diana and how the world responded to her. Uh, well, they also took notice of how the world responded to Harry and Meghan and they didn't like what they didn't like what they saw. Um, but if you just look at those engagements and then the engagements that came after they returned to England, um, just doing the work, you know, Megan always had a smile on her face. Megan always was very professional, um, more so really asking questions, learning about the organizations, doing her part to um, represent all of them well. And it hurts me to know that the moments when we did not see her, where she was not having any engagements, she was alone and isolated. And the majority of Megan's time in the UK, she was pregnant or a new mother. Archie turned one in America, not in England, right? So she was a brand new mother in her first pregnancy. And she was isolated. So when she wasn't during, doing engagements, she was stuck inside or stuck behind some walls. You know, when people say... And, and then over time, the assumption is that over time, up until the point where she and Harry finally left 
it just got worse and worse and worse and worse because the press just kept getting worse and worse and worse. It pains me to know that because you see her smiling in public, but inside she's freaking dying, dude. It's really going to (laughs) be, it's hard for me to get through this without crying, dude, because my tears are from anger. And what I was going to say was that people always say, well, she knew what she was getting into. No, she didn't. No, she didn't. And people who say that, you don't even know what she's getting into. Maybe now you have a little bit more understanding of what a person is getting into when they marry into that. But to say, oh, well, you know, she knew what she was getting into. It always had a very cruel ring to me, um, that phrase. Because, I mean, she even said it herself. I didn't know anything about these people. I mean, she knew that they were royal and she knew that they were the king or the queen and the descendants of the queen and all of that. But she didn't know the details of what and and. You know, most people probably would Google, but I believe Megan when she says, I I just didn't look these people up, but I fell in love with my husband. And she also said in hindsight, she's glad that she didn't, you know, look anything up about the royal family or what different things were and that she was basically learning on the fly after, you know, she was engaged Because she probably would have been intimidated and she might have just decided, nope, this is not for me. Um, Sorry, but I love you, but it's just not going to work out. But even for people who saw what happened to Diana and they saw what happened to Fergie when Fergie, um, you know, married one of the brothers and was the second duchess. Again, people thought that the royal family had learned its lesson. You know, so... The assumption was that history wouldn't actually repeat itself. So no, she didn't know what she was getting into. And I was saddened to hear that she was locked away. But then she talked about how either right before Archie was born or right after Archie was born, they told her that, uh, told she and Harry, that Archie would not be getting a title Now, the conversation around that topic was that Harry and Meghan and Oprah brought this up as well. Harry and Meghan decided that they didn't want their children to have titles and that they wanted whenever they were old enough to decide, they wanted them to make that decision. That was a conversation and that was what was being put out in the press. Meghan revealed that. The institution, the family is what I'm going to say, uh, didn't want him to have a title, which is crazy to me because the king, the next king is the kid's granddad. But, you know, it sounds like the lack of a title would have been all fine and well as long as Archie was protected. So when they told Harry and Meghan that since Archie is not going to be a prince, that they wouldn't give him security, that's when the problem really came in. And that's when the turning point happened, because now we're talking about a different game. And it's a game that only one side is playing and they're playing with people's lives, because 
That's not about them wanting the titles or wanting people to call their son Prince. It's about the fact that the child's security is directly linked to him having a title and how stupid that is, especially given the fact that they're still receiving death threats. They're still the most trolled and targeted people on the internet and social media. But the thing that reveals the most to me about that, which points to racism, is that when Oprah asked her, well, what was the reason they gave you for not giving Archie a title? She said there was no explanation. They were not able to explain to this woman why they didn't want to offer security to her son. And I'll tell you why that is, because the explanation is an ugly one. And it's that is that they're racist pricks. You know, um, somebody had to make that decision. It was made. It was made. It, it, it wasn't something that was agreed upon or understood. That decision was deliberate and it was made. My guess is that the same person who probably had a or not probably, but very definitely had a problem um potential problem with Archie's skin color, depending on how dark it is, girl. The darker the skin, the bigger the problem, you feel me? Um, the same person decided that, well, their children are princes and princess. Therefore, we can't have the little quarter black boy who's a descendant of American slaves also be called a prince in this here monarchy, even if he is a descendant of the current monarch. Now, ain't that some shit? Now, while that was not explicitly stated as a reason, again, Megan never got an explanation as to the reason, but that's right in line with the overall theme of the interview, which is racism is what drove them out. Even though they wanted to step back from being a senior royal ultimately they had to leave in order to be protected in order for their child to be protected they're not going to be satisfied with just harry having protection but the monarchy oh they love that scenario so the fact that archie didn't get a title and thereby didn't get didn't get protection You know, Archie and Meghan are just a little bit different from all the other royals. I can't really put my finger on what makes them different. But wow, to hear that, I mean, it it just blew my mind because all this time I was believing that it was Harry and Meghan's choice. And that just shows how masterful they are at crafting a certain narrative, the family that they want to get out so that they don't look bad. Meanwhile, they'll tell you that they'd never complain and never explain. You know, they'll they'll hide the truth to protect themselves, even if it means somebody else's life. And another thing that surprised me was that Megan wasn't opposed to doing the whole Linda wing thing, but she wasn't going to have her baby out on the street when you just told her that her baby wasn't going to be protected. Like, what mother would, what good mother would do that? And as Megan put it, and I'm so glad that she said it, if you're not going to protect me, why would I put my baby on the street? You know, because Oprah was doing the whole devil's advocate thing. 
um, saying, well, why, why would you want to break this whole thing that's been a tradition, you know, since, since Diana and Fergie and all of that. But I'm not going to put my baby on the street when you just told me that he's not worthy of security. Right. So I, I'm very glad she stood her ground, but I'm glad that she let the girls know exactly why. So no, you don't get to take and take and take from me, but you don't give me any assurances, you know, for all of these things that you're basically taking from me. I just pushed out a baby and you want me to stand on the street so you can, you know, have all of your friends in the tabloids take pictures of me and my baby at our most vulnerable moment. All while they make a profit off of us. Y'all get favorable coverage and we're still your shield. Only now my baby is a part of that shield that's protecting y'all. Fuck you and everything you stand for. I'm not fucking doing it. And she didn't do it. And I was so glad. I'm so glad they did it their way. And, and it wasn't even about, again, it wasn't even about them doing it their way, but I'm glad that they were able to stand up for themselves in the ways that they could given the information that had just been presented to them, because I don't, I, I just don't know, even in that moment, even if she felt weak to me, that's hearkening back to some strength that she might, she might've forgot that she had, but it's always been there. But probably one of the biggest shockers of this entire interview was the fact that Archie's skin color mattered. It mattered. Harry, their favorite son, you know, has a son of his own. And the only thing they can think about is that child's skin color, how dark the baby would be and how that would look for the monarchy. Bitch, it could only make y'all look better having a non-white royal. And that right there just showed the world how out of touch with reality that institution intends to be from now until as long as they can get away with it. That's how out of touch with reality you are. But yet... Will's egghead ass is out here talking about, oh, racism, oh, it bores me. Let's get it out of football. And he got flamed for that. I don't know if y'all remember that, but it wasn't too long ago. He put something on Twitter talking about, oh, well, you know, we got to do better. You know, let's let's get racism off the pitch or whatever the hell y'all be saying over there. Oh, well, you know, we just it just has no place in the sport. And he got flamed. Well, what about your sister-in-law? What about your sister-in-law? Oh, racism bores you. It didn't it didn't bore you then. It didn't bore you when people were sending her powder in the mail, white powder. It didn't bore you when people were calling her monkey under your Instagram account. It didn't bore you then. Nothing about any of that bothered you. When her son was born and called a chimpanzee, the palace said nothing. You weren't bothered. You're bothered, though. By the idea of your first nephew having brown skin. And yeah, I'm going to go ahead and name Will because I believe it was him. Because if you didn't catch the clips the morning after the interview, Oprah went on CBS this morning and she said, well, I spoke with Harry after the interview and he wanted to make clear that it was not the queen who raised the issue about Archie's skin color. I mean, I just can't even believe I'm saying these words like it wasn't the queen, though, and it wasn't Prince Philip. 
So who else could it be? People think it was Charles. I don't believe it was Charles. Charles might be a bad father. And, you know, some people are just bad people in general. But I tend to think he likes being a granddad. And I don't really think he cares because Archie is never going to be king. Um, but Will would have an issue with it. If it's between Charles and Will and there's really no other people that it could be between. And my logic is this. They're the only ones who outrank Harry. <laughs> They're the only ones who outrank Harry that are going to be having those conversations. It's not going to be Will's wife. It's not going to be Charles's wife because they don't have a place to be talking to Harry about any of his children. But he's already said that it's not the queen and it's not Philip. So between the two of them, who's more likely the motherfucker that joked about people dying in the coronavirus. The one who called Harry's wife this girl. Slow down. Why are you marrying this girl so quick? That egghead bitch. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Because I said I didn't want to really go there in this episode like that. You know, I, I, I've been trying to keep it professional. But you know what? I can't stand that motherfucker. And, you know, I've never seen a group of people who are so entitled. You didn't work for any of what you have. You didn't work for your titles. You didn't work for any of it. You're just there. But here you are. And, and, and again, I don't think Harry and Meghan even care about the titles, but it's about the protection. You don't even care about your your nephew being protected, knowing that they are high value targets. Honestly, I I think he deserves to be ridiculed in public after that. Um, I, am I telling people to do that? No, but I think he should be. I think he deserves it. He deserves it. He deserves it. Uh, another thing that just kind of made the waves across Twitter was the look on Oprah's face when Megan said that. And Megan didn't hesitate. The only time, again, the only time she hesitated was when Oprah asked her, well, who was it? Who was the family member? Because it wasn't a, it wasn't a man in a gray suit. It wasn't a staffer or an aide. It was someone who is going to be king. Right. Megan wanted to say, but she didn't. She didn't. And I felt like she said, well, if, if anybody's going to tell it, I'm going to let Harry tell it because that's how that's his brother and or. um dad but I'm gonna go ahead and say brother because again I don't believe it was Charles Charles got a lot of flaws and you might maybe being a racist is one of them but I just don't see him say I just don't see that I see it from Will though um Oprah's face sort of became a meme there was another uh meme <laughs> in that same uh point in the conversation where she just puts her hands up and is like Oh, my God. What did I just hear? Because um, she said that she couldn't believe that that was actually being shared, that they were being that forthcoming. But of course they would, because that's their son. Um, the look on Oprah's face, it told us a lot about what she was thinking as somebody who's lived through some racist stuff, like some crazy racist stuff. Um, but also just the... the the absolute disbelief of hearing it. Uh, and I think that's what <laughs> I think that's what black Twitter decided to, you know, let me just hop on Twitter and um, put my opinion 
uh, in here about what I think about what I just heard because everybody was watching it. Um, so that was incredibly damning for the royal family. Um, even if it was just one person, it's a whole institution. And you best believe that one person, they're never going to be named. Maybe far into the future if somebody decides to write like an autobiography or something like that. But they're, they're not going to be named. And so they're going to be hiding behind that. But then Megan sort of offers a glimpse into her mental state at that time. And because Oprah asked, well, you've mentioned 2019 being almost not survivable. And she, she says, literally that is the case. And we first heard that on the uh, teenager therapy podcast. I remember it like day. And I, I gotta say, honestly, when I, when I heard her say that, then I thought she meant that in a, a non literal sense just that it was a hard thing for anyone to be going through. But she set the record straight and said, no, no, no. I could have killed myself. Me, pregnant, I could have done that. Oprah, I didn't want to be alive. I didn't trust myself around myself. (sighs) When I tell you, the sadness that I felt just hearing her say that, you know what I mean? Like, cause she's sitting there talking to Oprah. She's pregnant, you know, for, with the, with her daughter now. She was heavily pregnant at that time. But imagine being that mentally broken down that you don't even want to bring your child into the world. Because the life you're living, you feel trapped in and you see no way out of it. The only way out of it is by death. And that's the thing that people often don't get about suicide. It's not that you want to be dead. You don't want to die. You just don't want to live because living has become a painful exercise. And you don't see an out. That's what suicide is sort of rooted in is it's this feeling of something, something needs to change. And I don't see that change happening, but I can change my state to where I don't feel the pain that I'm feeling anymore. So not wanting to die, but not wanting to live as you're living. Megan was a person who came into that situation as any situation with a positive outlook, bringing the best of who she is to any situation. You know, I remember when she was on the stage um, for that whole heads together thing, they weren't even married yet. And she talked circles around everybody on the stage not because she was trying to boast, but because she's an intelligent individual. She's a college-educated individual. She's a, a multilingual individual. She's a philanthropist in her own right before she even stepped foot on any of the palace grounds. To be broken down 
in this period of her life that is supposed to be exciting. It is supposed to be full of promise. Like she has a child that she's about to bring into the world and she can't trust herself around herself anymore because that's how toxic her life had become. And the thing is, she went to get help. She went to the same HR that Buckingham Palace just released a statement talking about, yeah, we're going to look into these bullying allegations made against Megan. We're going to do an investigation. The same HR department. And they said, oh, I'm sorry. Well, we can't help you. Oh, but they're looking into allegations now. <laughs> I swear to God, when she was talking about that and then she mentioned that, I swear I felt like a headhunter. I felt like a headhunter. Like, it's it's a, it's a hard feeling to describe because I went from feeling, and this is not about me, but as a viewer, because I saw so many people saying the same thing. And even the next day, you know, I'm not a violent person, but I'll bust ahead if I have to, <laughs> right? I just had that feeling. You know what I mean? It's almost like the, the fight or flight feeling that you get. I went from having intense sadness at hearing her talk about her mental state to rage dog when she was saying that she went to get help and she didn't care how it looked if if the headline said Megan checks into a, a mental institution or whatever to get help they denied her that and to me it sounded like well this is after they told her or around the time that they told her that we're going to deny your child protection we're clearly denying you protection from the press. But we'll, we'll protect Kate when they talk about her hair extensions and her Botox. We're going to release a statement about that, but you're not worthy of it. And even when you recognize that you need help with your mental state, because we're not offering you that protection, we're not even going to give you that. So they wanted her. They wanted her dead one way or another that's what I got from that they wanted her gone one way or the other so if they couldn't destroy her they wanted her to destroy herself if she didn't just outright leave and by this time I could tell that Oprah was overwhelmed Oprah was shaking her head because these are things that you it it, it catches you so off guard because again it goes right back to that perception versus reality in Megan's engagements we're talking about a brave face a face we don't even realize how brave it is because you see her you see the pictures you see the you know the short little video clips and she's doing her job but you couldn't have told me that Megan in that sparkling navy blue dress at the Cirque du Soleil thing was having suicidal thoughts that day. You know, it's that juxtaposition that is so fucking cruel because she just looks so beautiful. But she didn't trust herself around 
herself. She couldn't be left alone. And what I remember from that is people kept saying things like, Oh, well, you know, because Harry, because they just kept holding each other so tight, like their hands. That was evident at the time. Oh, Harry, he just looks so unhappy. He just looks so unhappy. See, he should have, he shouldn't have married her. And, oh, well, she's so needy. Why won't she just let his hand go? Not knowing what, what they had, what they were going through. Harry's not going to feel happy. On a day when his wife has just told him, no, I have to go with you. You don't know what a person is going through. Y'all think you know these people. And that's the thing about the royals. The British public that are like pro-monarchy, you think you own these people. You thought you owned Harry. You know, so you thought you deserved your pound of flesh. That man was trying to keep his wife alive. And so when he said that he didn't want history repeating itself, the two most important women in his life, the monarchy, are trying to destroy both of them. And they never caught a break. It's the cruelty of making your brother, your son, you know, your new family member, a, an infant, a shield that stands between you and the tabloids that you will clearly do anything to remain on good terms with. And it's worth remembering. I believe I tweeted about this. It's worth remembering that Diana, when she was pregnant with her firstborn, also threw herself down a flight of stairs. She was bulimic, self-harming. Um, she, she needed an escape as well. And nobody did anything about it. Nobody did anything about it. You would think that 20 years later, things have gotten better. Nope. They stayed the same. And by definition, if they stayed the same for 20 years, that's worse. Because you're falling behind. And I think if Megan had been younger, as young as Diana, she might have hurt herself. But she she had life experience coming into that. And so... I'd like to think she had a well of hope and experience to actually pull from uh, in addition to having her husband to rely on. And so that's something that I'm, I'm, I'm probably never going to let the um, members of the Royal family who are on social media live that down. I'm just not going to like, cause how can you say, Oh, I care about mental health and heads together and give us a shout when when you as an institution, you don't care about the mental health of the people who are contributing to the function of that institution. It just reeks of hypocrisy and duplicity. Um, I, I really just applaud Megan for telling her truth. I knew that when she was asked questions or that when she got on certain subjects that she wasn't going to mask her experience because I feel she owes that to the people who look up to her. Yeah, not everybody likes Megan. But the people who do like her, or especially the young girls who look up to her, she owes them the truth of her experience. Um, just in, in her example, I think the act of telling your own truth, it's a powerful one. 
and not being afraid of that. And even if, you know, she never names Will or Kate or Charles. And, you know, most times she just said the institution. She may have said the firm once or twice, but mostly it was the institution. Yet, maybe technically there is a separation, but there's not really a separation. That's like trying to separate a president from how his staff behaves. Right. Over here, we have a saying called, or that goes, the buck stops with me. Meaning, I'm the head honcho, so anything that happens underneath me, I should know about. And if it's something that I disagree with, then I'm handling that. Do you know what I mean? Um, That's not happening over there, not from what I can see. So... How can you separate? I know Oprah asked the question, well, she is the queen when Harry talked about how he and Meghan were, um, you know, due to have tea with the queen. And then all of a sudden her schedule changed. And she said, well, isn't the, the queen the the boss? Can't she just do what she wants? That's how I feel about the family members. You have staff and you have these different departments and you have these different aides. They do what they want. Well, really, no. Let me go back. They don't do what they want. They do what they're instructed to do. It's been said that Will, for example, runs a pretty tight ship. And anything that happens out of his camp is with his knowledge. And so that's what it feels like to me. And I'm sure that's what it feels like to Harry and Meghan. But we can say the institution, but there are just some people who are they're so hell bent on trying to separate the institution uh, from the family or the firm. All this shit happens with their consent. They know what's going on. They know it. They know it. And the only reason rumors or articles of Megan's mental health didn't get out to the public like all that other stuff did is because they know it would have made them look bad. Megan was not afraid of looking bad. That's what they do to women. If a woman has a mental health problem, especially if she's famous, they call her crazy. They're eager to do that. Megan didn't care what people thought about her. She just wanted the help. But the family were the ones worried about looking bad. That's what I think. Otherwise, it would have came out. Everything else was, you know, leaked and briefed. Nobody ever wrote about Megan suffering. Mentally, under all of that abuse and pressure. And the the idea that her son wouldn't be protected. So even though Megan didn't name names, she kind of did. So did Harry. Because who else could it be now she didn't she mentioned Kate by name in that incident but there are so many other things where Kate is also implicated which it even if it's just as a result of her going along with her husband who's basically uh the master string puller behind the scenes um allegedly um but <laughs> in the second hour uh Harry came out he joined the interview and his perspective as, you know, a blood member of the royal family, 
uh, the father and protector in his own family as uh, just Prince Harry, as the public knows him. It was also just very interesting to hear his take on, on what he went through and how he was approaching their situation as Megan was just dealing with her um, her personal struggles of just being an outsider, of being a, a woman of color in an institution that clearly wasn't welcoming her, as being a new mother uh, with a child whose protection she couldn't be sure of. Um, when he started talking about, you know, the security and how, um, you know, his primary goal as a provider for his family is to just ensure that they're protected. It's particularly when they, you know, got out on their own. That's all he wanted to really be able to afford is just the security. Um, but you could hear his his mind working. He has a very tactical mind. You can hear that military coming out. He's thinking about, um, you know, their status, whether they're still, you know, there's still a threat in terms of, um how the media is presenting them to the public because that, that, that produces a threat. They're, they were literally trying to drum up hate against this couple. So they can't be out there bare in the world. Um, he was trying to, you know, work and negotiate the logistics of that said security. Um, then he says something that shocks me, which is when they left, Palace staff leaked their location in Canada and cut their security. Now, you tell me how that sounds to you. I I honestly can't remember whether he said it was, you know, a particular family member staff, whether it was Will staff or Charles staff, but it was somebody. They they leaked it to the press, their location. You don't remember journalists uh, going over there? talking about they're, they're now going to start working in America uh, because Canada is a Commonwealth country. We're good over there. And he's worried about the borders closing, <laughs> not being stuck in Canada. That was still the lockdown um, or the beginning of the lockdown. But the fact that this is family now and their staff, how, like how do you not care about the safety of your family members? It's one thing, and this is what Megan was also saying. Don't strip his security. He's still the grandson of the queen. How do you do that? How do you rationalize that? He's not, you know, Diana's security was taken away from her. But you could rationalize that by saying, well, she's not a blood royal and the the boys are always going to be taken care of. You know, she produced an heir. She's no longer in the family. She's divorced from the heir to the throne. She doesn't need security. Um, even though she did, clearly. But you can rationalize that. How do you rationalize taking the security away from Diana's son, a blood prince, a high value <laughs> target, uh, just because of his popularity and this fact that he's in transition in his life. And he's also vulnerable because he has a young family and a small child. You're taking security away from that guy. Why? 
because he didn't want to go with y'all's shenanigans. He didn't turn his wife over to y'all the way Will did. Well, I won't even say that because Kate is exactly where she wants to be. But the way um, the way Charles did, I should say. They wanted Diana to be consumed by the institution the way Kate is. Kate is them now. But Harry wasn't going to allow his wife to be swallowed up because, again, he was afraid of history repeating itself. The removal of his security and how that how they went about that, that that sent chills down my spine. Um, Harry also reiterated a lot of the things that um, that Megan said in terms of how like the institution just just put up a, a wall to them. Couldn't come to them for anything. Megan, not for her mental health. Harry, not for, you know, protection for his family. And just how they they told him and her repeatedly, well, this is just how it is. Everybody has been through this. And, and I, I just I just don't buy that. I don't buy that. I bet if Kate needed help, she would have everything she needed. I bet she would have everything she needed they probably anticipate her needs before she voices them she would have everything and maybe that is one of the perks of being future queen but like isn't that what everybody is entitled to and especially if again you're out here telling everybody how important mental health is and I'm not even specifically talking about just Will and Kate I'm talking about how the whole institution is trying to present itself. It's trying to present itself as philanthropists who care about individuals, you know, in the UK that basically tax fund them. You don't give a fuck about these people. You don't even care about the people that are standing right next to you. Apparently. I mean, you clearly don't care about Harry and his family. So he reiterated that lack of support, but then they started talking about Prince Harry's relationship or lack thereof with Prince Charles. Now, it's a known fact that that relationship has never been good or it hasn't been the best for a very long time, for a while. Uh, Maybe, you know, there were signs that it, it was getting better, you know, when Meghan... Uh, after they had gotten married or, um, you know, I don't really know how true that is. (laughs) You know, you really don't know what's true and what's not. But I had thought that it was getting better. Um, But clearly, once they left, security was cut off. You saw all the articles about Harry and Meghan needing, you know, Charles to finance them or pay for their security for uh, from the Duchy of Cornwall money. Um, and that wasn't for very long, but then Harry says, well, yeah, well, we were talking before he stopped taking my calls. I think in their honesty, cause they're only just being honest <laughs> because that's their right. They have the right to say and share about their experience, exactly what they want to share. When he says that, he just says it, you know, just just straight up, like nonchalantly. He wasn't even like, oops, I didn't mean to say that, but oh, well, it's out now. It was, well, that's just what happened. It was just a thought. It came out. And that's true. Um, 
I won't even say it reveals something about Charles. I think it reminds people about who Charles is at his core. And after Diana died, he got positive press because people to an extent felt sorry for him um, because now he's a sole parent of these two boys. I mean, forget the fact that there's a whole entire institution that's basically raising them, but he got the positive press from it. Um, so from then until now, that's all Charles has got. He, he pretty much got a makeover at the expense of Diana. This is going to remind people who Charles is. And I'm sorry, growing up with your mom as queen. Yeah, you know, I guess it would suck if your mom spent six weeks away from you or six months or however long. And then you're, you know, like a five-year-old and she comes back and she shakes your hand instead of picking you up and hugging you. Yeah, you know what? That does suck. And you didn't choose that life. But at what point do you learn to be a good human? Because that's no excuse when your ass is 70 years old and you have sons who have already been through trauma in their lives. And you got one son who's going through even more trauma because you refuse to put your foot down. And you stop answering his calls in the midst of that. You are a shit. There are no excuses for you. And Oprah asks Harry and Harry says, well, I think I think he's made peace with it. He's trapped, but he's made peace with it. What is he going to do? What is he going to do now as a 70 year old other than just wait for his mom to die? You know, uh, Will is the same thing. You know, um, did you did you like I noticed how quickly Harry said that. They're trapped. <laughs> Harry has always felt trapped and he said it himself. So in a sense, and I've sort of alluded to this on that on the podcast when Harry and Meghan finally got out because I was so happy for them because I know that freedom is better. Even even if it's freedom that you don't know how it's going to pan out, it's better than being um, restricted. It's better than being constrained. Looking at how long will will have and and if if I mean if it's any indication for how long the Windsors live well into their 90s um and I I believe Philip is going to see his 100th birthday I just do um even though they tried to make us think he was on his deathbed but uh you know they're gonna live a long time I I don't see any different for Charles so Will's going to be waiting quite a while just to be king not as long as Charles because his mom was a young queen but he's going to be waiting some time and all that time you're going to be expected to do all these engagements that you you perform for the public um you got to prove your value you got to prove prove your worth but with Harry and Meghan not there as a punching bag how long before the press turns on you? I still haven't really seen that pivot. But how long? Because there's nobody, like somebody has to be the shield because somebody has to make a profit because the royals are boring. Nobody cares about them. They cared about Harry and Meghan because they were popular. And it's fun to try to tear somebody down. It's not actually fun, but it is fun if you're a sadistic royal reporter.
apparently. And Harry talks about the invisible contract, which causes Charles and, you know, Camilla, I guess, and Kate and Will and all of them to be trapped, especially those in the direct line, because they need positive press. Harry and Meghan, there were sacrifices, but they refused to be controlled by fear. And so that's why they were a problem, it appears to me, you know, um, because the family is certainly controlled by that fear. And then if I'm an English person tax funding these people, do I really want the papers controlling my royal family? If that's like the biggest point of pride in my country is the monarchy. Do I, do I want to know that the, that, or, or even just consider the the thought that they don't actually have control. That they're just about like, they're just afraid to be portrayed badly. So they'll do anything to get positive headlines. And that includes Will, because look at, look at what happens when there is even a, a glimpse of a negative headline about either one of them. They, and I'm talking about Will or Kate, because they're the ones who I kind of have paid attention to um, alongside Harry and Meghan. They, they throw a hissy fit, right? They talk about, you know, our lawyers are involved and then the tabloids just stop talking about it. When there was a rumor that Will was cheating on, on, I mean, it's allegedly more than a rumor, but um, that Will was cheating on Kate with, uh, you know, Rose Hanbury. He said, you're, you're, you're violating my civil rights. <laughs> and people stopped talking about it. It was largely a Twitter thread, a Twitter story. Um, but they deaded that real quick. But stories about Harry and Meghan will go on and on and on for months at a time. When uh, Tatler basically did a, a puff piece on on Kate Middleton uh, and calling her the top CEO, honey, the strength behind the monarchy, but it wasn't as flattering as she thought it was going to be. They had certain parts of it removed. The press didn't really talk about it all that much. They might have said one or two articles, but nothing happened after that. And while that might sound you know, like a walk in the park for Will and Kate. It's not because they have a lifetime of that ahead of them. They like to call it duty. And, you know, they tried to, you know, hit Megan and Harry over the head with that saying, oh, you're abandoning your duty. No, they said, no, they actually wanted to continue with doing that. They just didn't want to be in that senior position because if dropping down meant that they were less interesting to the press, then that's what they wanted to do, but they weren't allowed to do that. But look at them now. They're in a much better situation. And I'm sure they're sad to lose the patronages, but they sure do have a lot more peace, more peace than you're ever going to find over there. Because Harry and Meghan are not trapped. And Harry has always said since he was younger, to Will, I can do what I want to do. You can't. But I mean, I believe when Harry became a young adult, he thought that he was at least entitled to like the bare minimum of like protection and respect. And he had that until 
he married Megan. And that's through no fault of his own. It's just the royal family shooting themselves in the foot. Um, and we see the climax of that in this interview. It is so amazing how bigotry drives people to do some of the stupidest things in order to keep that bigotry alive, like in order to um, get the royal family back to where it was, which is Lily White. You know, that's no different from like in the in the 40s and 50s and 60s when you know, a municipal pool had to be integrated due to like law and they'd rather just fill in the pool with dirt than to swim with Negroes. That's, that's the Royal family. You know, they'd rather just look bad than to have a, you know, a prince who's partially black than to have, um, a black duchess who's more popular than the boring, lazy white one. Even though she's boring and lazy. <laughs> like, you know, they just rather harm themselves in the process of harming you. Because that's how strong that bigotry is. And yes, the tabloids do have the royal family by the balls. But they also, the members of the royal family... Not just the institution, the staff, the aides, the members, they did exactly what they wanted to do. Harry and Meghan were far more respectful of the family in that interview than they deserve because they did what they wanted to do. And I'm glad that the interview showed that Commonwealth picture when they were walking out of the church and everybody had a sour look on their face except for Meghan, the person who had suffered the most. I thought it was really good of Oprah to ask them, given all that they've been through, did they have any regrets? Harry said he didn't have any. He thought about it, but he didn't have any. And that's likely because he looks at where he is now. He sees what he has now. He sees the love that he has in his life now. His children, you know. And... Staying there meant that he was not, he could possibly not have that. And even if, you know, they all stayed there unhappy, it would be a miserable existence for them as long as they stayed. So they could not stay again. I said on here a couple episodes ago, that was just was not the logical thing to do. It wasn't. That's why they left without a plan. And speaking of leaving without a plan, can I just, can we all just like, give a shout out to Tyler Perry for just the kindness. <laughs> People love to make fun of, you know, the house that we're staying in and how many bathrooms Tyler Perry had in the house and all of that. None of that matters. Like people never look at the most important thing. Tyler Perry was a soft place for Harry and Meghan to land when they came here. And when they had to leave Canada after someone in, in the palace had leaked their location and then cut their security. Tyler provided them with security. 
And I saw a tweet. <laughs> I love black Twitter. I saw a tweet that said, well, who's going to play Tyler Perry in the crowd? <laughs> I know somebody better be playing Tyler Perry. Somebody better be playing Tyler Perry because my God, Tyler Perry does so much that, that goes unnoticed. This obviously wouldn't go unnoticed because of Harry and Meghan being who they are, but Tyler Perry does so much. Like every, every Christmas time, he's always like picking a couple of Walmart stores and just completely paying off people's layaways, you know, that they, they put on layaway just to save up or to, to try to um, make payments on their Christmas gifts for their kids. Cause they can't afford it all at one time. He just pays the whole thing. And makes a post and says, hey, come get your stuff. I just paid it all off every single Christmas. And that's just one of the things that he does. You know, this is a man who has lived in his car while he was doing the Medea plays on stage, just going from town to town to town. This man lived in his car and he grew up in an abusive household. And we're talking about physical abuse. But he knows what the feeling of abuse is. And, and pulling yourself up from that. And now this man is a billionaire. Marvel. Studios. Films. On his sound stages. This man is completely self-made. Um, and he provided. Sort of. A calm for them. And I just got to say. Especially that security piece. Until they got to the point where they, they could then not have to use all of the inheritance that was left um, to Diana's sons, to Harry. Um, God bless Tyler Perry, man. You know, the fact that you guys have just come from the most powerful, one of the most powerful institutions, just bare, completely vulnerable, because they told you that, well, you know, there just wasn't enough. They gaslighted Harry. <laughs> they gaslighted Harry and Megan. And Tyler said, you know what? Don't worry about it. I got you. I hope they're friends for like a very long time. God bless. And then also uh, Diana. I thought it was so touching that Harry said, I felt her presence through this whole thing. You know, it's almost like she knew I was going to have to go through this at some point in my life. And she, she kind of did allude to that in a lot of the things that she said in, in different interviews. Um, not that she did a whole lot of interviews, but maybe she mentioned it in the Martin Bashir interview. Um, but she, or, or no, 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 no. I think it was the, um, the Diana in her own words, but either way, she knew that Harry was going to be the one to be mistreated. And so that's why she tried to love on him while she was alive. And he was, you know, she was just taken from him like that. But in the end, like somebody else said on Twitter, she's still the better parent to Harry. That's just mind blowing to me. Um, thank God for, for Diana. And, and Tyler Perry, because that provided them what they needed to be able to uh, level up to where they are now. As for Megan's regret, she said that she regrets thinking that she would ever be protected. And I hear her on that. Like, 
when she was just talking about how her family was calling her and saying, girl, you're not being protected. They're not protecting you. And she was saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I am. It just doesn't look that way. But she was she was on the inside looking out. Everybody else was on the outside looking in. And she thought that she was being protected. And this is something that institutions do to like people of color. But it's almost like they there's a deliciousness to doing it to black women, which is gaslighting them. Now, anybody can be gaslighted, but they looked at this woman even before she was married and they knew they weren't going to protect her, but they, they made her believe that they were. And she was convinced. And Megan is not stupid. Megan is an intelligent individual. They made her believe she was protected. And what else would you believe when you're, you're not at home. You're you're completely out of your element. You know you feel protected, at least in your own house, because of your husband. But they're telling you that they're protecting you, and they're clearly not. And you're the only person who can't see it. That broke my heart. And it wasn't until she had a child, someone that she had to now protect, and they were telling her, no, no security for no security for your baby. Mm -mm. That's when she turned that corner. And it was like, we getting the fuck up out of here because that's not, that's not on the table, not an option, not for me, not for my husband. Now I know this has gotten so long, but just briefly, a couple of takeaways here. Um, The Royal family looks worse than we thought of them whatever we thought of them they look worse than that for me at least um and i i have a feeling that charles and camilla at least are gonna have to turn off their comments again uh because if instagram is (laughs) any indication after the interview at least over here in the states people went and hunted him down and and told him how how bad of a father he is which i don't know how you stop taking the calls of a child who is in distress even if they're an adult but when you're cold and you know you you're existing your whole entire life has been created in this cold institution then you're just cold too but i i honestly hate that family and i know hate is a strong word it's just not strong enough in this case um they do far more harm than good and the entire family is a performance Their existence is a performance. They perform love. They perform advocacy. They perform tolerance and acceptance. They perform inclusivity, or at least they did for a few short years. And looking at the conversation about how they treated an infant and regarded an infant according to his skin color and how that would look in the family, we see how difficult it must have been for them to perform that inclusivity it's such a cold institution and you know they threw up such a hissy fit about the crown the crown was way too kind now at this point uh in the day it's monday about afternoon the royal family at least on on my end i'm in america um it's afternoon so it's nighttime over there as far as i know the royal family hasn't released a statement uh just completely silent 
Now, y'all were doing all of that talk before the interview. Now y'all don't have nothing to say. And what I think is happening is they're probably trying to gauge how the British public are viewing the interview, um, how the Commonwealth will view the interview and what the temperature is. That's that's expected, I think. But I think they ought to tread lightly and remember that Harry and Meghan still hold a lot of the power. Um, they know who the names are. <laughs> they just chose to not reveal them. There's so much more they could have said. And I think that's what the royal family and the institution is going to come away with. After the initial shock wears off. And I know there are going to be people, probably a lot of Sussex squad folks who are just not satisfied with the fact that Harry and Meghan didn't name names. Uh, they, they alluded to certain people, maybe, but they didn't name names outright. And they didn't just trash the family, at least explicitly. You know, I think that was genius. Because real power is knowing that you have it and knowing how much damage you can do with that power, but still deciding not to use it. That's power. Megan could have dragged Kate by her hair extensions and flung her side to side like the Incredible Hulk. But instead, she chose to be nice and say, well, you know, she's a good person. Don't hate her just because you like me. She could have dragged Kate from here to hell. I know she could have. Harry could have named names as well and pointed out Will about the comment that I believe Will made about uh, Archie's skin color and how he didn't say who it was, but he said who it wasn't, and it wasn't Elizabeth or Philip. He still didn't name no names. But he's letting you know who it's not. But what happened is after that, after Oprah went on TV and saying, well, he said to me explicitly that it ain't his grandparents, then that intrigues everybody and everybody wants to know who it is. Everybody now wants to know who it is. Because, again, it can only be one of two people. And both of them are next in line. That is a flex. That's Harry saying, I got your number. So try me one more time. I got your fucking number. Because they're being dragged right now. They're being dragged by the world in ways that they have never experienced. They thought the crown was bad. This is worse because this is real life. And we 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 hear from a person who said that they thought about ending their lives. Lives, because she was pregnant. And so people are essentially saying, Harry and Meghan, you guys go live your life. Your job is done. Go live in peace. We got it from here. And Harry and Meghan get to walk away without ever having gotten their hands dirty. I, I, think, that was, I think that was smart on their part. But of course, to end on a good note overall, the fact that the interview happened and could happen and, you know, they're happy at home. They, they're living their life as they deserve to live a life. 
you know, they're having a girl. It's like at any other time, that would have been the biggest Sussex news. But the interview just revealed so much that 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 fact got buried. But that, you know, Archie's going to be a big brother and, you know, <laughs> he's already telling people to drive safe and he has this little chick in, <laughs> which is so adorable. Um, I and I also love the fact that Megan was like, well, you know, I just like to rescue things. And she also rescued a prince, usually see the other way around. Um, but I'm just so happy for them. I'm happy for them. And I'm relieved for them. And it ended so beautifully because Oprah asked Prince Harry, do you think she saved you? And he said, yeah, she did. But he also saved her. And that's so incredible to me because they both gave up a life in order to be with one another. It truly is the fairy tale of fairy tale. She left behind everything she knew. And they completely stripped her down to nothing couldn't even handle her own passport and he left behind everything he ever knew which is that cold ass institution and he still came out a decent person frankly he's more than a decent person so harry and megan kick up your feet relax we'll protect you over here just raise y'all's chickens and, you know, your family and do your Netflix thing. We got your back. And anyone who says they don't, well, they're probably a Karen and you don't want them on your team. And so with that, gang, that is pretty much all I have for today. Uh, I do want to say a quick prayer for Thomas Markle, um, Megan confirmed that she lost her dad and you know he never he never got the opportunity to meet his grandchildren but you know we all got to go sometime and so life is short and um you know life has meaning by how we spend the time that we have and so may he rest in peace and my thoughts and prayers are with the family. And for everybody else, you know where to find me. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Megan Mood, on Instagram at Sussexet, all the other places as well. You can check my links in my bio. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or both, girl. Um, <laughs> but if you're able to definitely leave a rating on iTunes, it helps other people find the podcast and it gives people an idea of what the podcast is before they do subscribe. So, man, there's so much I didn't get to. Um, I don't necessarily know that the next podcast will come in the form of a part two, but, um, there are a lot of things that I still want to talk about and I'm probably going to try to find some time to watch the interview again just to to pick up on some things that I didn't catch the first time around because I was so stunned uh, but definitely let me know what your guys like what you guys' thoughts are on the interview if you've seen it hopefully by this time you have because I just went through the whole thing um, so spoiler alert but Tell me what you, your your initial thoughts were. 
One thing that I also found interesting was that when I woke up on Monday, I realized, which it wasn't a surprise, (laughs) but I didn't get any sleep. And so most people on Twitter, I said, well, hey, how's everybody doing? How'd y'all sleep? People were like, oh, I didn't get no sleep. I took a melatonin. I told Tina I was taking a melatonin. I still didn't get any sleep. I might have got one or two hours. And I think the fledgling dreams that I, I might have had were about the interview. <laughs> I'm not ashamed to say that. So, um, yeah, I'm going to try to I'm going to try to go to bed early tonight. So what were your thoughts and reactions? Uh, definitely let me know. I'd be curious to find that out. And I hope you guys are taking care of yourselves. Shout out to everybody who supported them up to this point um, and did all the of the work of the receipts and calling out the reporters. At this point, nothing can hurt them. They just have to stay vigilant. Obviously, they're going to stay protected. Um, and we look forward to all of the things that they, they do have to put out in the future. So, um Take care, guys. You will see me soon, and I will be on Twitter. So until next time, peace. I'm a bad bitch. You can't kill me. Kill me.